0: It's the Weekly Show with David J. Maloney. This week, David chats with actress and author Allison Arngram. And now, here's your host, David J. Maloney.
1: Our featured guest tonight has a face that is instantly recognizable to anyone who's been around long enough to happen upon an episode of Little House on the Prairie or who grew up disliking her character, the antagonist Nellie Olson. Here to chat about her incredible life and bestselling novel, Confessions of a Prairie Bitch, How I Survived Nellie Olson and Learned to Love to Be Hated, is none other than Allison Arngrim. Allison, welcome to the show.
0: Hi. Hi. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I like that. I know I disliked your character. Yes, yes. Hate me, hate me. It's- <laughs>
1: So you burst into the scene with your iconic role as Nellie Olsen in Little House on the Prairie. But I'd love to know what life was like before your first steps into Hollywood and, and that bit of fame. You came from a family that was already in the business, as I understand it. And I'm curious kind of what life was like for you growing up.
0: OK, I started working when I was five. So Little House was technically uh not the beginning of my career. Actually, it had a whole career before. I always tell them, Little House was my comeback role at 12. Wow. Um, I started working when I was five. My Screen Actors Guild card actually says member since 1967. Uh, so my, my whole family were in show business. Uh, my parents actually founded the uh, Totem Theater in Vancouver, Canada, if anybody, Canadians or anyone's into that. Uh, if you look at Canadian history, they're there. And then uh, they got into Radius. My mom, Uh, Got into cartoons. My mother was a voice of Casper, the Friendly Ghost, as well as Gumby. You know, they have a lot of the gang are up here. Gumby and Sweet Polly, Purebred, Underdog's Girlfriend, and Davey of Davey and Goliath. Uh, My dad, after a brief career on Broadway, went into managing other actors. And he wound up working for Liberace and Debbie Reynolds and all sorts of people. And uh, so that was crazy. Because at one point when I was about eight, my dad was like working for Liberace full time, which is completely bonkers. And then, then my mom was a cartoon. So I started working as a very little girl, but even my aunt and uncle, my aunt was a concert soprano and my uncle played the violin and the symphonies. So I was working by the time I was five, six years old and I actually worked quite a bit, you know, commercials. I did a movie when I was 10, some episodes of shows. And then when I was 11, I wasn't working very much. And my father being very matter of fact, and a manager sat me down and said, now, You know the story, you know enough actors, you know the story that sometimes people don't work. Sometimes, especially child actors, they'll work when they're like seven and eight and then they become teenagers and it just stops. And maybe they work when they're adults or maybe you don't. So I needed to prepare myself to never work again or never work again until I was 18.
1: Yeah. Okay. Oh, I think you froze up for a second. And
0: then, of course, I'm 12 and like it's months later and I get a little house on the prairie, the biggest hit like ever in the universe. So, yeah.
1: Yes. So I had no idea that your mom was voice of some of the characters I've watched since I was a kid until I actually started studying your biography. Did your friends grow up knowing who your mom was? I mean, did that make you like the cool kid on the block?
0: Sort of. I mean, some people just thought it was another completely weird thing about me. And your mother's a cartoon, okay? Um, but they, some of the kids did like it when I was like in second grade, and I, I talked about it in the book that she'd walk me to school, and and the kids go, "So would you? Would you do do Casper for enthusiasm?" sure to say, you know, seven o'clock in the morning and she's, you know, completely exhausted, hair and curls, okay, fine, kids. Hi, I'm cat, she would do it, no matter how early it was, whether she had a coffee or not, she was very, very, she would do it on the spot. So she would do do Casper and Gumby and everything. And they did like it. And the funny thing is, is years later, when I was in my twenties, I met this group of guys, of course, guys in their twenties, they were animation nerds and into the old cartoons and And they're like, wait, your mom, it's the voice of Gumby, Casper and Bob." Can, can she come to our party? And they were having a party. And I'm like, do you want to go to a party with a bunch of like college guys who worship you, who want to ask you questions all all night, this afternoon? Things. Like, sure. And she did. She, she was the guest of honor at a party with a bunch of 20, 21 year old like nerds who asked her questions and she was thrilled. She was like, absolutely. What do you want to know?
1: <laughs> so, and you were saying that your, your dad managed these people like Liberace mm-hmm. who was the first like, Huge, famous—I mean, person that you remember meeting at such a young age that kind of stuck with you. Was it Liberace?
0: No, let's see who. Liberace was amazing. I mean, I went to his shows and everything, and he lived up the street. We we rented a house in the Hollywood Hills to to be close to Liberace, and we all the neighbor <laughs> kids let's go trick-or-treating at Liberace's house he's gonna have something interesting he's, yeah he'll have, candy, sure. he'll have the best
1: candy i'm
0: sure and he did he he would be out at some party but he'd have the butler come with this tray and he had oh we were darling little jack-o-lanterns little black and orange plastic jack-o-lanterns with these really nice jelly beans he had the best candy um so and we met all kinds of people i remember i met uh vincent price when i was young um i met all sorts of one of the celebrity was really little and I I talked about the book she's not as famous here but well she was in um the movie Thoroughly Modern Millie was her big claim to fame here. She was a British-Canadian star, B. Lily, and she was very big in the musical days in, in England, but she wound up being a character actress and her big claim to fame. She was in the movie, the 60s movie Thoroughly Modern Millie, is the, the evil villain who kidnaps the girls. Marvelous. When I, I was friends with her, I was like five years old. And then, yeah, my dad started managing people, uh, Liberace and, and, and Debbie Reynolds and all these people. And then people before they were famous, like, well, Michael Onkeen who's very famous, Twin Peaks mm-hmm. and all of his yeah. many movies and everything. Well, Michael Onkeen, it's so weird. His mom was best friends with my parents in the theater. My parents did plays with Michael Onkeen's mom. And so I knew Michael growing up. And my father managed him around the time he did The Rookies. and was first. My dad was his manager. Uh, my dad was one of Susan Anton's first mm. singers. Susan Anton. Before she was really famous, my dad took her to the Tokyo Music Festival when she was just breaking as a before big singer. Before Dudley Moore. Before Dudley Right before Dudley Moore. Right before, yeah, and all that. But yeah, absolutely. He was your manager and, and they went to Tokyo and everything. So there were all kinds of celebrities constantly going through our house. And it was... It was we were in, we lived in the heart of Hollywood. We lived yeah. in West Hollywood. My agent, when I was a little girl, my agent Lou Cheryl, who, who got me the job on Little House and negotiated that contract, he was Adam West's agent. So yes, Batman. I could tell people I have Batman's agent. Yeah, you can't, can't beat that. My my mother is Casper, and I have Batman's agent.
1: That's funny. So, so walk us through the events that led to your casting in Little House on the Prairie. I mean, was it a big casting call? Did you get a call from an agent or producer? How did that first audition come about?
0: That's what's so crazy. It was like a multi-audition process. It was so, well, so they realized they're going to finally make the books. There had been a guy, uh, well, Friendly had gotten rights to them and he couldn't talk anyone into making the show. He was a big producer and he's like, I was like, little house in the prairie but then michael landon has just come off bonanza is a huge star Mm. and michael says oh i want to make little house in the prairie that's the show i want to do so they hook up and next thing you know network says okay you got michael i guess we're doing little house in the prairie so they have this huge casting call they see everybody i actually read for the part of laura and for the part of mary can you imagine such a thing did not work out thank heavens and then they made the pilot and i was like oh oh i didn't get it okay whatever and they make the pilot. Then like months later, I get this phone call. My agent says you're to go to Paramount Studios and read Little House on the Prairie. I said, I read for Little House in the Prairie already. They are, they did that. They made the pilot. No, they're making the series it sold. They, they have all apparently there's a bunch of other people. It's cast of thousands. And I don't know. I get there and I don't know who Nellie Olson is. I haven't read the books. You don't, I don't even know no what you're group. reading for not a clue and they didn't tell me oh by the way she's the villain i had no idea so i get there and i get the script and i'm sitting there with my dad and i start reading it and like, i turned to my father I said this is not a normal audition he said what do you mean i said this girl's a total yeah. she's she's, the, she's horrible and my father said what are you talking about i start reading it for my dad he starts cracking up laughing he can't goes, oh she's awful um yeah. i read it for him. he said okay you go in there and you do it exactly like that. Don't change it. Don't change the thing. He said. In fact, don't rehearse it again. In fact, put those pages down and don't even look at them again. You just go
1: in and just yeah,
0: just do that. Just do whatever the heck you just did. Went, All right. And I went and I did. And there was Michael Landon and and Kent McRae and 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 friendly producers. And they said could go right ahead. And I start reading and they start laughing. They just start to, They lose their mind. And it was really it was that part about my home when she reads the essay in school about my home. the best home in all of Walnut Grove. And they're dying. And they said, Would you do it again, please? And I said, Yes, yes. Would you like me to change something more this way? And they said, No, just just read the thing about the house like that. Yeah. They laughed so hard so I read it. And that was it. I got out of there and there were some there were other girls there, but when I got home my agent was already, he was on the phone. And he said, no, you got like, basically I left the room and they were like, we're done. We're done. We're done. she That's it. I was hired on the spot. My agent was on the phone going, no, wardrobe fitting. You're, you're done. You're on the show. And it was a seven-year contract. I had to go to court and everything. things. So, so I was absolutely in shock. And then I get there and Melissa Gilbert and I, of course... There we are playing mortal enemies. But as soon as we met, we liked each other. We bonded immediately. We were immediately friends. It was like, and now we have to hit each other in the face. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so that was now very I, strange. Now,
1: now I got to push somebody down a hill in a wheelchair. Yeah.
0: yeah, right? Like, wait, we like each other. What are we doing? Uh, I'm pushing you down a hill in a wheelchair. Oh, you are? Well, I probably deserve it. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, we love that one. That episode, Bunny, where she finally has just had enough and shoves me down the hill. In the wheelchair.
1: It's <laughs> awesome. So it, it would be hard probably at that time for anyone to see the ramifications in the future but did you at any point in time ever worry about playing one of TV's most you know villainous roles you know and and how that might affect your your image overall and how people would view you personally as an actress or were you too young at that time or did your father spot it from yes. his experience
0: a, l- a little of all that because oh on the one hand we had no idea how enormous the serious little house in the primary would become, we had no clue. Every year when it got renewed and they said, yes, we're going back. We're like, wow. Oh, they picked it. Like we were all surprised. We like didn't realize how huge a hit this thing was. And I guess around the third year I went, Hey, this thing's like in the top 10. And I also realized, Hey, wait, when they do the big season opener episode and the big season closer, it's like about me. Oh, wait, that's a hint. Hello. (laughs) Maybe this is working. And I knew I was a villain and I knew people hated me and I enjoyed that. I I always liked villains and horror movies. I was like, yes, I'm I'm bad. This is is great. Um, When the show did go on and on and on, I remember my father expressing concern like year seven. He's like, if you sign up again for another seven years, I mean, it's going to be like Miss Kitty on Gunsmoke. You're going to be this lady on the West. I grew up on the show. By the time the show ends, I'm a grown woman. I'm like yeah. 19 years old, and I have. I, they gave me a husband. I got married on the show. I had children on the show. It's like, oh my god, I like live here. And my dad said it could turn into a thing where you're just absolutely locked into this western. And he wasn't so worried about the the being the the bitch, you know. As or he said, that's kind of good. He said every anybody can play the sweet pretty girl, but to play this terrible, person, yeah. He said that's you know that's good. And he said it's also he said because you're funny. And I had started doing stand-up comedy by then as a teenager. He said, that's really good. Beauty fades, but funny is forever. Yep. <laughs> and so he said, you yeah, know, you could be a great sex symbol in your 20s, but hey, what do you do later? Whereas if you're funny, you know, well, you can just go. Well, we saw Carol Channing and all these. Carol guys. Channing, can, Phyllis Diller, be,
1: Carol Burnett.
0: Phyllis Diller to 93, Carol Channing Betty, to 100. why Carol Burnett still doing it. Betty White, to Yeah, he's like, you can keep doing that. So yep. I was like, good idea. So the idea that it was the comic relief, there was a villain. We're like, well, this is probably really good because you're not just, oh, she's she plays a sweet girl. The, 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 you're you're doing something exciting, so that may be an advantage for you. Actually, could work out. There was some typecasting when I, I got off the show and I began auditioning for like TV movies and films and things. I did. I I would audition to play the nice girl, I'm like, no, no. <laughs> And I did get called in to play the bad girl. And I was like, yeah, but I kinda I kinda like those roles. So I did get a couple TV movies. I did, you know, Love Boat Fantasy Island, because like yeah. everyone did. It was yep. crazy. That was sort of fun. And I was worried about thank heavens I was doing the stand-up because in my twenties, you know, it was the eighties and blonde girls in their twenties, as I put at the time, I said, I think you were supposed to be a cheerleader, naked or dead, or a combination of all three. And I i, I did not fit that mold. Um, so I, I was doing the stand-up, and that allowed me to travel, and I was doing theater and all this stuff. And now I totally get called for really, really bad villains. It's really fun. I just did a play uh, down in uh, uh, North Carolina at uh, the Judson. And it's well, I did Agatha Christie's. who's was Agatha Christie's uh, The Mousetrap. It's the 70th anniversary Agatha Christie's The Mousetrap. Big, big deal. And I played Mrs. Boyle, who is awful. She's so mean that literally one of the characters has a line that after I leave the room, the other the woman actually turns around and says, "Bloody old bitch!" And and the audience applauds. I'm that awful. Um, I get I get murdered. So you know, yay. Um, <laughs> i've been called in for these kind of things i did a movie called even in dreams uh that i did in 2020 marvelous little movie really nice movie about a nice girl who's trying to make it in the music industry but i played the terrible evil manager who tries to exploit her and ruin her life (laughs) and i liked it i was like this isn't this is fun this is an interesting part so now i don't mind but there was typecasting because whenever i've played someone nice which i i swear i swear i have played nice people i really have when i've done it my friends have come to see me and things go
1: you're you're so nice <laughs> like, yeah, I swear don't know I've what to make it. of it
0: that was stunning this listen you were so nice how do, um so yeah so i and then when i play mean my, my friends who actually know me laugh and find it very the way they went you know, it's so weird. You're playing this awful person. You're always playing these awful people, but you're like you're so generally nice. really nice in person, you know? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. yeah, I know. I get when I was doing Nelly, people would ask my mother what's she like at home? And my mother would say, I don't know. She's gotten it all out of her system. She's great. She comes home, like takes a nap. It's so, um so something about playing the villains, I think I get it out of my system there. So I'm I'm generally rather pleasant in real life.
1: Um, we talked a little bit about when you met Melissa Sue Anderson who played Mary Angles and yes. and your uh, interactions with her. What about Michael Landon? How, how, tell us a little bit about him. Everybody, well, uh, as you know, everybody loved him.
0: Well, we talked about Melissa Gilbert. We became bestie friends. Yeah. Melissa Sue, she saw herself as, you know, the serious actress. I mean, she was, you know, with all of 10, but she saw herself as the serious actress. And, and Melissa and I were, I, I think she thought her mom thought we were like juvenile delinquents. She was probably right. Um, so... <laughs> She's like, I'm not hanging out with you two. Um, And then Michael. So Michael, the big thing people say is like, was he that good looking in person? Yes, yes. The teeth, the the teeth, the white teeth and that mane of hair. He did spend hours on that hair. He did. He loved that (laughs) hair. Um, He was like constantly putting little highlights in, having a color play. He did everything to that hair. But it was amazing. He looked amazing in person, very, you know, hanging out in Malibu, the tan. He had a gym. We moved to the bigger set. He had a gym built on the soundstage. So when he needed to like pump up to like, you know, have his ex and he he could do so. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He was a little vain, a little vain. He knew he knew what he looked like, Um, but he really was that good looking and he was very funny. A terribly funny man he did not take himself very seriously he made fun of the fact that he was on bonanza and people called him little joe he would answer people would yell, hey little joe and he'd answer oh yeah hi and, uh, hey little joe how where's hoss oh he's back at the ranch with Hops, Sing." and he'd laugh he just yeah he'd make jokes with fans and he liked practical jokes he was always fooling around on the set he would do the weirdest things okay he knew all these women had crushes on him, so there'd yeah. be some woman on the set who'd just be like, oh, this is "Charles," and he'd go get a live frog because we're on a location. He'd get a frog and stick it in his mouth, and then like walk up to her and go, "Hi," and just let the frog crawl out of his <laughs> disgusting. He would, and then of course they practically have a heart attack. He would do stuff like this all the time. He and he had this giggle. He laughed. Michael Landon laughed like a girl. Michael Landon had this high-pitched giggle. You could hear him for miles. You'd be out on location. You'd hear, (laughs) oh, good. Oh, good. Michael's here. And he laughed, and he liked to laugh. He really reminded me of a kid, because people would say, was he like a father figure? And I'm like, well, to Melissa, obviously, he was playing her dad, so very much, but to me, he was kind of like a naughty teenage boy who'd somehow gotten the keys to the studio. He was a he was wild and very, very funny. I really enjoyed working with him, but I mean, brilliant. I mean, you realize he was directing the show and producing the show and starring in the show and writing like half the scripts. I mean, the guy was genius.
1: How early did you know that Steve Tracy would be playing your on screen dad?
0: Um, the day he showed up for work, <laughs> it was like, when you get married on TV, it's like an arranged marriage. Like yeah. <laughs> Melissa Gilbert, were like, and I were sitting there because she didn't, she had, you know, okay. She knew she was going to get married. She knew, I mean, come on, Laura Mary Salmanza. She's like, eventually, I guess they're going to have some guy show up and ta-da, here's Dean Butler. She, she, she didn't get any, she didn't get to pick. The only time anybody got to pick, Charlotte Stewart, who played Miss Beetle when they were casting the guy to be Mr. Sims, who she does wind up marrying. She marries Mr. Sims. They had two guys and she happened to be there. And they said, hey, come here, come here. We're deciding between these two acts. They're both great. Do do you have a preference? Hey, you're here, you get to pick. And she looked and one of the guys she knew, they were both very handsome, but Mm -hmm. she knew one of them. She'd gone to school with him back at drama school. She went, And she didn't tell them that she already knew him. She went, oh, I think he's really good. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> she's like the guy she already knew so i was like you're lucky because we didn't get to do that the kids we didn't it was like the middle ages and you're sitting there in your village and it's like your oh, husband okay. shall be arriving from the other village <laughs> the wedding is at noon they're like i don't want to get married um so melissa out, and so they said well you're getting married and uh, Michael did tell me, he said, I oh, have this a great idea. for Netflix. She gets married and, and, he's, and he's really short, but he, he won't take anything off anybody. And he, oh, and he's Jewish and he's Jewish. And, and then he leaves the room and then he comes back and he, and, and, and he tells Mrs. Olson to shut up. And, oh, oh man, it's so cool. And I, I followed him and he's in the dressing room with his yellow legal pads and his pencils. I said, you're writing this now. Yeah. I said, don't we film that in a couple of weeks? He's like, yeah. It'll be done. I said, You're like writing this right now and making this up as you go along and telling me. So he really wanted to do this episode. So I we're waiting around and every guy who walked onto the set, Melissa and I are like, Sat him, Sat him. Oh, I hope that oh, he's cute. Maybe it's him. And then Steve Tracy showed up. And of course, he's adorable with the curly hair and the freckles and those eyes. And we're like, Oh, let it be him. He's good. Because we knew. They were talking about comedy relief that Percival would be a funny character. They'd be a character yeah. actor, and in Hollywood, often when they say character actor, they they mean not the handsome guy. Yeah, they mean they're going to get a guy who's not. And when you, when you're a t- when, when was I seventeen, you're like you go, could it be the handsome guy? And of course, Steve showed up, and yes, he was brilliant and funny and a great character actor, but he was also very handsome. So I was like, yay, score! And um, he turned out to be a really fun guy too, and we wound up becoming best friends. So
1: what were your days like on uh the set of little house being a kid most often amongst you know other child actors i mean what sticks out to you the most about working in those days with with you know all the other the other kids
0: well we were really lucky because we had a bunch of other kids a lot of tv shows you'll notice there's there's one kid or maybe two it's like no kids so who, who do they hang out with I mean, there's usually school is on set. If you're, you know, usually if it's mm-hmm. during the school year, you, you go to regular school if it's hiatus, there's a break, but you have three hours school and set. But you sit in a room. You sit in a room and there's a teacher, but you're basically doing your homework. It's like can be glorified study hall. And sometimes, if you're lucky, you get a really good teacher. Who says, "Well, look, as long as we're here, what are you studying? Let's see if we can't help you." And uh the, the two girls, Melissa Gilbert and Melissa Sue Anderson, uh, they actually were there so much that the teacher there administered their tests, so she was very involved. But I've often it was like, "Well, you're here for the week. Just just do your homework." So if you're just one kid on a show, you could be very isolated. You're only around adults yeah. who may much much older than you, so it can really you know warp your personality uh you don't see your friends from school and they started at some of the big studios um if they had multiple shows with one kid or two kids putting them together in a school room so at least they had each other little house oh my god we had like 30 kids she had me Jonathan, he played my brother, Jonathan Gilbert. Melissa Gilbert, Melissa Sue Anderson, the twins, Robin and Rachel, although they were little. And then you had all these other kids that you had several regular families. Because then you had the the Garveys and the Edwards and all of these people. You know, those kids. And then of course we added Albert. And then we had the school kids who were like you know the mm-hmm. the extras, the school kids, but the town school kids. Most shows they just said, well, we hired a bunch of kid actors to come in. We use the same kids over and over. The same extras were... over
1: and over again. So they'd be the, in the school. So you'd see the same yeah. kids in school.
0: If you, if we hi, if normally a ten-year-old gets hired, maybe they're there. If a ten-year-old kid got hired to sit in the school little house, they're gonna sit there till they're seventeen. They, they stayed. And some of them were the children of the crew working yeah. on the show. Some of them were the children <laughs> of the people who worked there, which meant you were not fooling well, around at work or getting in trouble. Because your dad is standing there lighting the shot, (laughs) it's like your dad. I mean, but why not?
1: I mean, that makes that makes perfect sense. It makes it easy. I mean, the
0: parents could keep an eye. They knew where their kids were. If they had to work a long day, the crew, it's like, okay, well, I saw my kid for most of the day. He was there. The kids were like, yeah, well, I guess I'm underclocked because mom is standing right there because she works here. Um, so yeah, you weren't, you couldn't get in trouble. So we had the same group of kids. So when there was a break, and hang up we had people our own age to talk to and hang out with like a real school, like a real town. So we didn't have that weird thing of I'm in a bubble with a bunch of 40 year old actors. We had other children to talk to, which I think is one of the many reasons why people from little house are a a little healthier uh, upstairs. than (laughs) Some of the other child actors, um, we were also held to a very high standard. We had to work very hard. Um, we, we were absolutely expected to turn in a performance at the same level as the grownups working there and go to school at the same time. And so there was fooling around, but then there was no fooling around. It was like, OK, now it's time to do. Let's go here. And you had to you had to know your business. You had to really work. So and then we were treated. We were treated with respect for it. We we're like no these these young people are actors and we were treated with respect and I think that combined with the work ethic and the fact that we had other children to talk to really made it a saner experience than a lot of child actors get
1: Now was everything shot on a on some sort of back lot or was there a specific location that you guys was there did you guys go to a location that was consistent or or how how was that aspect of it handled
0: Kind of both, because we have, obviously we had the indoor and the outdoor scenes, the indoor yeah. Scene, yeah, the, the studio. So for the first few years, we were at Paramount Studios in Hollywood, and we had like two whole sound stages with all the you know, the little house and the mercantile and all our sets. And then, gosh, fourth year, I want to say, third or fourth, we moved to MGM, uh, way out in Colorado City, which is it's now Sony, and that's where they filmed The Wizard of Oz, and all those mm. old we were like, wow, now we're at MGM. And they actually put us on stage 15 where they had filmed The Wizard of Oz. So we're very proud of that. And the great thing was, it was a huge, I mean, this thing was so big. Uh, We had everything that had fit, had taken two whole sound stages, were on one sound stage, plus the whole makeup and hair department, plus Michael's gym, and like (laughs) all our dressing rooms. They shoved everything, things that had taken up, two sound stages and half a parking lot were all in one building. So that was fun. Uh, We'd have to go out in the rain. And- we found out that yes it was this where they shot the wizard of oz and one day they were ripping something up repairing something and they lifted up like layers of linoleum because you know in hollywood they just build over things they pulled up the linoleum there's the yellow brick brick road in the floor there it is and so melissa and i are like click your heels we're going to oz um so we filmed it but for the outdoor scenes because obviously we're outdoors what they did is they rented a chunk of land in out in Simi Valley, California, a place called Big Sky Ranch. And if you go online, mm-hmm. Big Sky Ranch, very, I swear, everything films there, very famous, everybody, so many movies and TV shows yeah. shoot there. I, in fact, sometimes I'll watch old Westerns and it's like Audie Murphy. And it's like they're in Simi. They, it's like, that's the little house set. Um, so they took it and they built a whole town. Now, They were all empty. Shells was like nothing in them, but they built a schoolhouse and a little house and everything. They're just kind of empty. Um, The mercantile and Nellie's Hotel, because we had such big windows, they would put a little bit like set dressing indoor stuff, but pretty much they built these complete exteriors and then we had the complete interiors. And then once a year, we'd all get on a plane and we'd either go to um, Sonora, which is in Northern California, gorgeous area. Because remember, Laura ran away from home and suddenly climbed a mountain and met Ernest Borgnine. And there are no mountains in Minnesota. I don't know how she did that, but um, so we went to Sonora, where there's a mountain, there's a oh, the camp out where we're in the river, all that kind of stuff. We went to Sonora. and then we would go to Arizona for the desert, uh, anything involving um, Indian tribes and um, oh uh, hot air balloons and things. Yeah. We'd go out to the de- we went out to this marvelous place in Tucson in Arizona. So we had two field trips that we would sort of like make once a year out to those locations.
1: So here you're the chief antagonist in the show for seven years. Was there ever a point in those seasons where you didn't want to be Nelly anymore? Or were, in other words, did it it ever become tiresome? Or was you just happy you were still working? Or was it so explosive (laughs) that it made it consistently exciting to the end?
0: I mean, there was obviously even as a kid, you're an actor, and Hollywood's like, "Oh, good, I have a job." Um, and one of the things also was really cool because I was a teenager, and in retrospect, it's like, "Woo, dodged a bullet!" I'm so lucky. I'm so lucky. Um, a lot of child actors, as my father explained, don't work as teenagers because mm-hmm. once you become a teenager, heaven forbid, your voice changes early or you grow, because it's you know most child actors are really short. A lot of the guys are kind of short. If you, like many teenagers at you know, 14 or 15, grow to be a tall, you become a young man and you're a tall, you're out of work, pal, because they can hire an 18-year-old to play 17, 16, yeah. and 15. They get a short 18-year-old who looks kind of baby-faced. He can play 14. They don't have to end at eight hours they don't have to hire yep. the teacher they don't lose him for the 3 hours school a day they have a regular adult actor they can do whatever the heck they want his mom doesn't need to drive him there and he can work overtime and there's no teacher and he can play 14 15 16 17 so that gonna go hard unless as a 16 year old you look young so you can play parts that might be too hard for a 14 year old or something or you're a huge star you are going to have a heck of a time working at 15, 16, 17, unless you're really amazing, they're going to go get an 18-year-old. So that's the tough periods to try to find something that you're locked in, you're covered for that period. So you, don't. I got hired at 12, the beginning of the, quote, awkward age, and stayed there till I was 19 and over age. And from an actor or agent or manager, a showbiz perspective, that is like winning the lottery. That is like... because everybody else suddenly became horrendously unemployed at like 16. And there I was full time. So that was really, really cool. Um, The other was I liked the part, uh, there usually was something new and interesting. Sometimes it got, got a little dull. If they said, well, There's not much she's in. She has to do seven out of 13 episodes. We don't have anything. So we'll just have her kind of be in this episode and like pop in briefly. I'm like, oh, come on. Oh, come on, guys. Why? Um, And I get bored. And when I got older, when I got nice, I got nice when I got married, which was awesome. The first year was very clever because it was a sudden change. And oh, she's nice. But then they didn't kind of know what to do. So by like the very last year, I'm like coming in going, hey, more coffee. You want some lamb stew? Because now I'm nice. I'm not going to throw a plate at anybody. What are, So it's like now. What do we do with her? Now she's just another lovely housewife person on the show. So it's like, hmm. And I thought, okay, no, this is this is a problem because now I'll get bored. <laughs> I liked when I threw plates at people. So when it, it they said, okay, well seven years is up. Do you want to sign on for another several years or do you want to go do something else with your life? I kind of went, eh, I think I maybe want to, I was like, can you pay me more money? No. Can I have more shows? No. Could you make me mean again? <laughs> like, no. I was like, well, that-. so I wound up, that's when I took off and started doing like a lot of theater and stand because it wasn't as exciting when I was yelling and screaming and throwing stuff. That was a job, you know, I'd hang out for that
1: and it's obvious to anyone who's followed you personally and and from your time with us on the show so far how sweet and genuine and heartfelt a person you Thank are you. <laughs> how are you able to channel someone you know channel that kind of evilness of Nelly for so long where did that and, where did you draw Nelly's that from it.
0: I, I was doing it two weeks ago too in North Carolina. People, God, I, as when I did the play, I said if you hated me, then come come see me at the Judson and hate me again on stage. <laughs> um, I, I said I was just vile Mrs. Boy, Mrs. Boy. If, you, if you're familiar with Agatha Christie, she often has these little old lady characters, these <laughs> awful people. Um, I had done, uh, and then there were none, and played the old English lady who's awful, and just remorseless and dreadful, and everyone's like, Ugh. and so they're like, do you want to come and play Mrs. Boy? And I go isn't that the mean old English lady who's totally remorseless and terrible and dies in act one? And they went, yeah. I said, isn't that what I did last time? Like, yeah, technically, but <laughs> so I said, oh, I'll do it. Um, so I play these terrible characters. It's kind of fun. It's as an actor, it's like talking about the the shadow side or the dark side playing those things. But when I was younger, it really was a place to vent, vent all your tension and angst and hostility so when you're a teenager you don't want to be told what to do. Well, if you're an actor and you're on a TV show, you're getting told what to do kind of all the time. So here's a character who's like, no, no, I don't want to be told what to do. Da, 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 da. And yeah. you're just spitting and snarling and flinging things at people and yelling, no, and stomping around. Like, okay. And when you're a kid, so many of the actor parts were very, they were like overly sweet like a lot of the child actor characters, kind of like, yes, mother, like, okay, nobody's that nice. And so here I was like, no, mother. Um, that's really freeing. It's really fun. I can, I, you know, my, I have really great blood pressure, my heart rate, and blood pressure, like, keep, you know, I'm just like, mm, zen. <laughs> I I like let well, it
1: all out. In, in a way I guess it's kind of a release I mean uh, and I can see how that could be true I mean it's kind of a safe way to act on certain negative impulses get them out of your get out of, get, get them out of your system and at the same right. point a great way to learn why we shouldn't act on those negative impulses it, because you get it, it, to see the ramifications in a safe manner no there is an old saying nothing is so instructive as a bad example. And and there are people who
0: literally have sh- sat and watched Little House, shown the episode of the children, said, don't, don't do that. <laughs> um, absolutely. I, I actually met a guy, very nice man he's from Columbia, and he said his brother w- was a priest at a church in Columbia. He said his whole family was hooked on Little House since they were kids. And his brother at the Sunday school lessons would talk about, do you want to be like Laura? Do you want to be like Nellie? And <laughs> talking about like the right way to do I'm- things and and it was also great cuz for kids who are bullied Laura showed she you know like here is this girl who's given her a hard time and how does she de- you know so i excellent excellent example
1: and so season 7 ends and like you said you did you don't you decide to move in a different direction you said you tried stand up that has got to be you know one of the more challenging things obviously tell tell us a little bit how that how that how that went for you
0: I like I was about 15 and I think my father was managing all these people. Oh, Peter Jurisic, the actor, he was his manager, got him started. So there was a comedy group called the The Village Idiots. God, they were funny. And Peter Jurisic and all these famous people were in it. Jan Fisher, who wrote the movie The Lost Boys, Mark Anzel, who was one of the producers and the show, coach. I mean, they all went on to huge fame. So they they were this comedy group. And I would go to see them. So I was at the comedy clubs at like 15. And there was this comic who was kind of doing an audience interaction thing. I was all right. I was giving him a hard time. I was 15 and he did the old, yeah, yeah this is so easy kid. You ought to try it. So, hmm. There's a thought. So next thing I know, I met with the, the village idiots who all wrote comedy as well as performed it. And so we put together a standup back. So I was on stage by 15 and a half. I was at the comedy store and the improv and, and, and clubs around the country. And then I was full tilt at 16, 17, 18 touring. I um, I really took, I liked it because I I could express my real personality and it's, it's evolved now over the years yeah. that I have this one woman show called confessions of a prairie bitch. Yeah. And that's really funny because I tell kind of in that, the story of like, okay, I have people hating me who are mad at me for stuff I did when I was 12, pretending to be somebody else. What world am I living in here? And it's hilarious and talking about childhood, but, you can address stuff. You can come right out and say, here's the elephant in the room. Yes, this is really weird. What are What is going on? And you can talk directly to people. And I always have a question and answer segment in my show. They get little cards, Ask Alice anything. And so they ask me questions. And some of the questions are so funny, I, I don't even need to write material. And then we answer them. Well, then half of those is like, okay, that's going in the act permanently because that was too funny. Um, So you get to interact with people. It's really I I really enjoy it. And but yeah, for many people, it's like, wait, there's not like a regular script. There's no other actors. I I can't stop in the middle, have a do over. I mean, I like live theater. I like live stand up. I'm I it's not as scary to me.
1: Well, and as a general rule, comedy, It, I guess they say either it has to be at somebody else to make it funny. It has to either be at somebody else's expense or have some truth in it. So that people can associate with it. Do you have a, I mean, I mean do you have a, a closing joke, a go-to, the one that you know always kills?
0: Yeah. Oh, I do a, a sight gay thing at the end of my show. And I even do it on my online show. Um, after going on about all my life, I go, fine. Is this, is this, do you still think that I'm, I'm this person? I'm, I'm, I'm a nice person. I said, but there's some things in my life I will never live down. And then I come back out in the Nelly wig, the nightgown, in the wheelchair.
1: <laughs> oh, jeez.
0: And I go, yes, fine. Is this what you wanted? Yes, I am. A and it's freaking hilarious. So I'm talking. Yes, this is my, This is who. I am. And because I am this, you have freed me. It is, b-. and it's, it's, it's very good. It's very cool. But yes, we come out there. And go, yes, fine. There, there's your Nelly for you. Um, yeah, it's the true thing. It's what often happens. Some of the best comedy is where you're saying what the audience was thinking but hadn't said yet. That they were thinking it. And then you say, yes, I know what you're thinking. It's this, isn't it? And they go, oh, dear, that is totally what I was thinking. And she just said it. That's that if you can do that, that's like, oh, God, that's like the best comedy.
1: So within a couple of years of the show ending, um, Steve Tracy dies of complication of AIDS. How did you first find that he had passed? And had you stayed in touch with him at all Mm -hmm. in the time frame from the end of the show until he passed?
0: Oh yeah. We became really good friends during the show. We really hit it off and we were hanging out after the show and going places and doing stuff together. He's just a wonderful person. And we're also very involved with the screen actors guild and doing all those kind of things and events for SAG. And when he got sick, um he called me and initially he, he was, he wasn't sure yet if he was going to come out and tell people he had AIDS because it was 1984, yeah. 1985 is crazy. So, um, he said, well, I have, I have cancer. And then like a couple of weeks later he said, okay, here's what's going on. I have AIDS and well, I have cancer, but I have AIDS related cancer. And he explained that he had AIDS. And then he said, I'm going to go public. And he did. He, he got interviewed on a TV show. And was, And at the, this is at the time when like Rock Hudson wasn't even going, like Rock Hudson mm-hmm. on his deathbed said, yes, I have AIDS. People did not come out publicly and say they had AIDS. Liberace was still trying to tell people he was on the watermelon diet. It was terrible. Mm. People were so frightened. They would, And here he was, he went public, very brave man. And there was a whole article in the Inquirer, he did an interview with magazines and things. And it was quite something, it was a big deal. And he just said, well, you know, if I can help other people, he was on an experimental drug treatment at the time, uh, which actually did turn out to be one of the building blocks the amazing cocktails and antivirals they have now that are keeping people alive, but it was very early on and they were trying stuff out and he had to have these injections. They're very painful. And I said, well, sounds very difficult. It sounds awful. Is it injection? that you said they, Oh yeah, they hurt. And uh, he said, Oh yeah, some of the people even dropped out of the drug trial. They couldn't even do it, but yeah, I'm good with that. And I was like, I said, well, is it going to work? Do you think it'll save you? And do you know, he said, Oh, no, it's not going to save me. It's too late for me. I'm letting them do this and I'm doing this drug trial because I'm hoping that this this will lead to something and they'll be able to save someone else after I'm gone. Yeah. That's the kind of person he was. That's kind of... My... So, yeah, when he... Got really, really, really sick at the end, and he left. He, his mom came and picked him up. His mom and his sister took him back to to Florida. He was from, he was from Tampa, Florida. Uh, he'd grown up in Ohio, but his family lived in Tampa. And so he was in L.A. His mom and his sister came and got him, took him back to Florida. And so they were with him uh, when he died. And um, actually, his final wish was to be cremated and scattered near the Hollywood sign, and he is.
1: Hmm. He's
0: Um, under the D. You can wave when you go by.
1: um, So is that experience with and and through him, what made you devote so much of your time and effort and charity work for AIDS?
0: Absolutely. When he first got sick, I said, what can I do? What can I do? How to, and he was in, he's in better shape than a lot of people. I guess as I said, his family, his family totally stood by him. His mom was first playing as mom and his sister. And then, uh, He had friends, a lot of friends who stood by him, and then he had more access to good medical care and resources. He had a little bit of money. So uh, a lot of people who are absolutely destitute and had no health insurance and had no, you know, their families abandoned them. So he was in a little better situation. And he had signed up for all the services with AIDS Project Los Angeles and Shanti and all the programs they had. So he said, well, I kind of get a lot of things covered And- So many people didn't. So I went and volunteered at AIDS Project Los Angeles because that I could volunteer and go help all the people who didn't have anybody come into their house like Steve. And so I wound up on the AIDS hotline and, uh, oh gosh, the food bank and the speakers bureau and pretty much every volunteer thing they had. And then I was approached to help with an organization called Tuesday's Child. And these, this was for families with, with children with AIDS, the mothers who'd had babies with AIDS, yeah. who had AIDS, they're caught, or, or the child had a blood transfusion at birth and contracted HIV, or yeah. the mother had it and had caught up horrendous situations. And these families were, were the whole family, the mother and the father and the baby are all sick. And these families often were ostracized, shunned by the rest of their relatives. Some of them didn't know what to do. They didn't know t- which agency to go to, AIDS project. And they were like, or they'd go to the AIDS project and they'd say, well, we'll help you, but we don't really have anything for kids. did we didn't have any. And so we opened Tuesday's travel We had the diapers and the baby food, and we had children's Christmas parties, and we had the bicycles and the toys, and, the, and we had the resources for families and could refer them to programs for moms and kids and stuff, dealing with AIDS. So I wound up doing a lot of stuff, a lot. And yeah, absolutely. is a 100% um, because of Steve Tracy.
1: Um, what was it like to receive the Young Artists Foundation's Lifetime Achievement Award? I mean, what did that mean to you at the time? And what does it mean to you now?
0: Well, as is says Lifetime Achievement, I said, yeah, live long enough. You'll yeah. get an award. Um, I tell if you, if you think you gosh, I'm not winning any awards, just live long enough. Just and live long enough.
1: They'll give you a you lifetime give, like, something. Something. Life. a lifetime something.
0: She's a, a child star. It's like, oh my god, she's still breathing. Let's give her a thing. Uh, so it's great because I don't, I didn't win a lot of awards. I have also the other one I'm very proud of is the TV Land award. TV Land, I won yeah. <laughs> character most desperately in need of a timeout. <laughs> what, what, what the heck? It's that? on my mantelpiece. Yeah, oh, yeah. I won that one. Um, I was very proud. Uh, but yes, at the, the, for child actors, longevity—that's the thing. There's certain child yeah. actors historically, Elizabeth Taylor and, and you know, people who started out as children. Uh, but it's often it's very difficult. So, I mean, Jodie Foster started a child, very young child actor. Yeah, but, but but for
1: every one of those, you get a Corey Feldman,
0: right? And, and yeah. even he's got like a gig, yeah. He's but still doing something. Oh yeah, he's working. He's working. He's he's working.
1: he's, <laughs> he's, he's, he's going to be playing in some venue, literally up the street from us, in, a, in like the next week or two. Yeah,
0: people say, "Well, is is he, he's crazy?" And I'm going, "Yeah, he got a job." <laughs> yeah, like, he's working. Well, that's the thing. Is most child actors? like I said, they, it stops at twelve, yeah. or it stops at eighteen, and if you manage to get past that, it usually just doesn't always click. And some of the things that, factors are like some of the things that get you hired as a child actor aren't things that get you hired as an adult um as i said a lot of child actors young child actors who are are boys when they grow up sometimes they're not very tall now luckily in hollywood most actors are pretty short i mean if you look at the the famous actors the pacinos they're all very short Mm -hmm. um
1: yeah, There's not a lot of... David
0: yeah, Hasselhoff is tall. Okay, I think that, yeah, they, they generally, they, they tend to be... Unless you're playing superheroes, most actors are really short. So that's at least good. But a lot of the things, and, and it depends, like, what show you're on. Sometimes child actors, and you've seen it, you've seen it, they're encouraged to kind of do sort of just catchy one-liners and stuff and not really do like an adult level deep performance and you know some of the kids on dramas of course are but then then what happens and sometimes even if you can do it even if you do transition to adult and your work as an adult is Jodie Foster level dead on people don't believe it even Jodie Foster she left town remember she turned 18 she took off she went to Yale and came back and that's the thing because even Jodie Foster who's a genius there were people in Hollywood like well I don't know they, they weren't going to hire her as an adult. They were they 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 were like, "Well, I don't know if she and like, "Hello, she has how many Oscars now?" What? Come on. The woman is brilliant, but there absolutely was a period when she first grew up where there were people who were not really prepared to be willing to let her be a grown-up actress. And it's a real real obstacle. Um so you have that and then you have the poor people who honest to goodness they just they didn't want to do it. They had the crazy kind of stage parents who go, get in the car, we're going, we're going to be in the movies. And then what do you do? Then what do you do if you grow up from that? Of course, there's going to be problems. Um, so it's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure to work as a kid. It's a lot of responsibility. And it's hard. And not everybody can handle it. It's rough business. And it can be hard. And not everyone can do it. It's just not everybody can.
1: We had Henry Thomas on the show last week. Um <sighs> And you know, uh, you'd think after ET, you know, there'd just be you know all this stuff. But he went through a heck of a dry spell, and now he's finally come back and is just cranking out stuff on Netflix yes. and you know horror films. <laughs> you know, and it's just like boom, I love boom, boom, horror films, right? one right after another. Yeah, with with I think uh, I think Mike Flanagan, I think, is doing them all.
0: Oh, and there's there's a lot of child stars who become producers and directors. Yeah. And are yeah. very successful producers and directors. They were in other parts of the business. And, and they've DJs on-
1: like Danny Bonaducci and stuff like that,
0: right? Danny. Danny's freaking hilarious. I love Danny Bonaducci. Um, And it's so funny. People, th- at one point people thought Danny and I did like each other. It's very funny um, because- <laughs> We did a thing on the tonight show together it was this whole hollywood survivor a parody of survivor with like all these like ex-child stars and actors don wells was there gary coleman it was like the craziest bunch of people and charlene tilted was there oh. and oh, jerry mathers the beaver i mean it was, it was bonkers and me and danny and all this. so we're doing this thing and he was doing his radio show so we got along like a house fire. we had a great time but of course he on his radio show was doing a bit it was like jamie yeah. and frosty or whatever so he was like, well, you know, Allison, you know, she's such a bitch. And he's, he's doing a comedy routine and saying, "You can't stand. <laughs> and then like he has me on his show and like promoted the play I was doing and everything. It was absolutely delightful. People were calling me go, oh, I heard Danny said these terrible things about you on the radio and they thought it was real. And no, no, I uh, Danny Bonaduce and I adore each other. So <laughs> we're both huge fans of one another. Um, but there you go. And then there's people, um, Jeannie Russell, who was Margaret on Dennis the Menace, uh, she became a very successful chiropractor with her own practice. People have gone into other fields,
1: Yeah,
0: mostly successful. Um, so there you go. So you don't know, there's people who've had huge success straight through acting or they did something else. And then some of them became directors and producers and making more money than they would have had they stayed actors. And then there's others who become doctors. So you you don't know. And then there are people where something gets stuck, something gets stuck. And it's often that something wasn't presented realistically when they started either the stage parent said, no, you don't need to go to school because you're never going to have to actually Mm -hmm. work or learn (laughs) anything. Yeah. Um, or the stage parents push them to do things they didn't really want to do, or something went really wrong. So when suddenly mom isn't there, making everything, had the momagers not there, and you have to like grow up and think for yourself, and I don't know, open a bank account, <laughs> get, drive a car, you're not prepared. Yeah, you're not. You're, you're just lost, and it's very sad. Very sad.
1: And and some people become authors. Um, in two thousand and ten. <laughs> You wrote your best-selling autobiography, "Confessions of a Prairie Bitch: How I Survived Nellie Olson and Learned to Love Being Hated." What Says was, love. I guess, I don't know if this is the right way to put it, but what was the straw that that broke the camel's back that made you finally, after all these years, sit down and tell your story?
0: I have been talking about it. I you know, I, I hate that we you know, we talk about, I'm going to do the, the, and talk about it for like forever. And don't do it. I, it's one of my, it's one of my pet peeves. And we all do it. We all do. I'm going to do it. Yeah. You said that last year. It, it drives me bananas. So sometimes I like, won't even talk about a project because I don't want to jinx it because I'm like, I'll just do it. I'm just going to do it and not talk about it. But I'm, I talked about doing that book. To, I was blue in the face and everyone was sick of hearing about it. But, People were also talking to me about, I was really young when people would come up to me and say, are you writing a book? Are you writing a book about all this? Because you really should. You should take notes. This is some crazy stuff. And I did. Um, and then finally, you know, I'd been doing the stamp. It was really when the one woman show happened. And I started doing that and I went, wow. Because I started telling all true stories on stage, real stories from my yeah, life. You realized you had I all like, this material. It's a hit and I went, okay, wait a minute. And I started out, what's the long version, like the book version of these stories. And a literary agent came to my show in New York and said, is there a book to go with this show? And I said, there could be. And he said, do you have anything? Funny you should ask. He said, you know, I need four chapters. What? Two- oh, look, what do I just happen to have? Four chapters. <laughs> and the and next thing I you know, I'm meeting with publishers. And I then you know the hard part, they said yes. And then I had to write the whole thing. Um, so that's a lot of work. And as a lot of my friends who have found out have said, I'm going to write a book. Wow, that's a lot of work. Yes, yes, it is. Uh, but it's very enjoyable if you do it right. And then there's the whole editing process and the whole book promotion process. It's it's a full-time gig, but it was totally worth it. And yes, I made the New York Times bestseller list. I'm very pleased. And um, people are still buying the darn thing. Hey, you know, what can I do?
1: Did anything unexpected come from publishing that book? I mean, it it became a bestseller as we all know, but I mean, did you have a feeling as to, I mean, did you, did you have any feeling that anything like that could happen or, or?
0: I don't know. I guess I thought, well, when I told the truth, when I stood up and said, this is my new stand-up fact. Hi, yes, 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 I, I, I am a bitch. Do people have any idea what it's like to be Nellie Olsen? And I just proceeded to blurt out the truth about like my whole life and everything on stage. It was an immediate smash and people enjoyed it. And I got way more bookings and way more people in the audience. And I went, okay, apparently that's the thing to do. So I went, well, I guess if I go all out on this book and I go, yep. Here's what happened, and I just and me and lay it out my my real personality and my really this will soon find out. And I thought it this could work. And then as I was doing it, I had friends who knew something about writing read some of the chapters, and they were like, "Wait, this is how you're writing it? Because I did this is this is good. Yeah, this this is like this. It's like this." And I'm like, yeah, it's like that. How should it be like? What what would it be like? I don't, I, I don't know. And so I knew I was getting hints that I was on the right track. So okay, more like that then. Yeah, type away. And when my agent would read the chapters, he was like, yes, yes, more more of that, please. And so I went, okay. And um, it was, it was a hit. So I, I thought, I think there's a market here. And I knew there would be a certain group of people who would absolutely, who would just like, a certain group of people would just love it, who would just say, yes, this is what I want to read. Thank you for writing this Boom. I didn't know it would be quite so many people. I didn't know it would be like everybody. So I was very, very pleased to find out how many people understood it and, and liked it.
1: Now, I had no idea about this before and still I was preparing to interview you, but you actually speak fluent French and have performed on stage in France countless times, correct?
0: Oui, exactement. I do a little en show en um, très, très, très oui, um, in French. It's very, very, very difficult for an American to learn another language. Yes, c'est right. Well, that's you... easy for you to say. Right. Yeah, I do a show in French and it's really, really hard for an American to learn another language. Um, I had gone to France to do a talk show and I found out what a huge following Little House has in France. La Petite Maison, La Petite Maison and the Prairie. Um, They really like their Little House in the Prairie in France. They are cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs for Little House in the Prairie. Who knew? Apparently, Argentina, France and Japan are like the three countries who love little house more than anywhere in the world they but it's in 140 countries they do love the show literally all I get fan mail from all over the world oh you can crazy. still
1: find it on stuff
0: it's ever it's in 140 countries absolutely yeah. and, and I get mail people and other, uh, god oh the Germans I had so many letters I was just answering and, and doing fan pictures for uh, the Germans uh people love little house number and the French are just like cannot get enough and they love Nellie Olsen or as i like to say they don't think she's me they they think she's french
1: um,
0: <laughs> just a uh, little bit, and some of my french friends got yeah, okay, yeah a little bit um they love nelly also and i thought well what the heck am i doing i need to come over here more often I who knew so i started going back and i met this great guy patrick uh La, La, okay it's not laboutier and patrick said he had written about he had written about Little House in the Prairie. Uh, and he said, you know, we could do a French version of your show. It would be very difficult. He said, I would have to look at your whole French show. And like half of it makes no sense in France. It's totally American. But there's parts of it that would totally make sense in French. And if we did this and we showed some clips and then we did that and then he came on, and we did a sketch and a thing, maybe. And I went, Sure why not and he did he wrote this whole thing and so he writes this thing and we got together to do it and of course the problem was i didn't i wasn't fluent at all Then i i could speak a little teeny bit of french because i was hanging out there but that was like it and i i went back to school i went i went to a, a back to school a pasadena a, a alliance de Française and i started taking classes and I'm still to actually I'm in class Monday night. Um, I still take classes off and on again, and I've moved up. So I'm in book four, uh, so, but I keep studying. And then I spent a lot of time in France. I did a movie in France. I did the shows in France, and I started hanging around with like French people who didn't necessarily speak English. Yeah, and you learn pretty darn quick then. Um, and I eventually got to where I could um, spit it out, and I could actually do an entire show. Yeah, in French and, and actually know what I was talking about, what other people were talking about and do interviews in French. And um, it's been quite something. We had my book actually come out, the French edition. And I just, I have so many French fans. I thought, well, this makes sense. And I always liked French when I was a little girl. Um, I had like a French record, like trying to learn French as a child. And I had all these storybooks where the characters always like went to Paris and I liked French food. And so growing up, it was like, uh-huh, France. And now I'm there, like, all the time. <laughs> it's the weirdest, wackiest, like, dream come true, kooky situation ever. But, yeah, I, I had to go back to school after the age of 40. You, you ever tried to learn a second language after 40? Yikes. Um, and I did it. It's It's very hard, and you can do it.
1: You had mentioned earlier that you had uh, just finished performing Agatha Christie's Mousetrap at the Judson Theater. What made you decide to take on the role of Mrs. Boyle in that play? Was it the opportunity to play another villain? I, think I, because I had worked
0: at that same theater. God, like 2017, mm-hmm. I had done, uh, and then there were none. The other really popular, I get the Christie play where I played the other terrible old lady. Um, and I like the people there, and I like the the. It's a great theater, and they do great productions, and everybody's very professional. People work, so it's a really cool place to work. Um, and they get all these New York actors because it's weird. Apparently, Pinehurst. Who knew? Um, one people go there to play golf. But it's also always had a theater thing going and people from New York would come down. There's a train. There's like direct train from New York City to Pinehurst because people would come down to play golf or go hunting and fishing or to theater. So they get all these actors from New York. People who have done Broadway and Off-Broadway will sometimes come down and say, oh, it's a short run. Yeah, I'm going to go down and do a show in Pinehurst because yeah. they know the theater. So you get all these New York actors and all these really good people. So I was like, sure. And so I had a good time last time. So I said, well, we are doing it again. And it is the 70th anniversary of Agatha Christie's Mousetrap, which is like a huge deal. And I was like, ooh, that sounds like fun. And it is Mrs. Boyle. And I'm like, she's, she's, she's awful, isn't she? Yes, okay. Um, And I don't know. I do, I like the character. And I like I like getting murdered on stage. Um, <laughs> I, I've been I have died on stage. Let's see. I was poisoned in um and then there were none. And I got shot in a play called Flirting with Morty. Well I was trying to shoot someone and we struggled for the gun and then I died. But I was trying to kill some people at the time. when I did so I, I've been off a few times and this I get strangled um in this one. Um so I was I was like it sounded like a good time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and I, I try to do at least one or two plays a year. I do. I try to, I do it regularly. I'm I member equity. I try to do stage whenever I can, as well as the stand up and the other stuff. And what with the pandemic, obviously, I hadn't been able to do a lot of stage. It's been like ages. I think maybe in 2018 or 19 the last time I did a play. So I said, "Oh yeah, count me. I'm coming. I'm on the play. Count
1: me in." Now, yeah, death death scenes were always fun. I got picked off by a sniper in a Steven Seagal movie once. <laughs> so yeah just, my me, mom right? uh, my
0: mom got murdered in a movie my mother after she did voiceover she started doing on-camera stuff late, late in life and she was a little old lady in a movie called murder on the 13th floor it's a tv movie with james broland who was killing people in this movie and my mom was so excited she said i get killed by james broland with an axe um and she was so excited <laughs>
1: So so what can we expect from you in the future? You got more plays coming up? What do you got coming up?
0: Oh, there's so much going on. What there's so much and we're having all these little house events because you know little house in the prairie. We're about to have our fiftieth anniversary in yep. 2024. twenty twenty four. It'll be fifty years <gasps> since How we started. And so there's going to be huge, huge, huge events in LA and Simi Valley and all over the country, but leading up to it, everybody's having events and we just did a bunch. And so I'll be doing, keep. I have a Nelly newsletter so you can keep track because I do all these things. I've got a show online on december um 16th next friday uh coming up in two weeks next on friday the 16th online it's called stageit.com it's a nasty nelly's naughty noel so my christmas theme show and that's totally online you can log in buy a ticket at stageit.com and come i'm in my living room i'll be in your living room it's brilliant we started it during the height of the pandemic and it's just been a great thing to do as well and then uh it looks like i will uh probably probably be speaking some French again soon mm-hmm. um, but I can't I can't get to, she can't give you dates or what it's it's a new project she can't,
1: can't
0: mm-hmm. dates. Um, but things are happening. Uh, there and then but the little house thing so many events coming up and then I, i'm still doing cameos for people that crazy thing where you yeah. have celebrity wish i ah, i yeah you can get i can come wish you a happy birthday and a merry christmas or happy yeah. i'm totally available for that uh and i've been doing all this stuff on facebook and then i have my interview show it just uh last night i interviewed uh daniel daniel ross who's the voice of donald duck uh hmm. so funny what a lovely man and um next week it looks like we got lucy arnaz and we've got all kinds of so uh, that's the Allison Arndrum show every Tuesday. I've got who's going to do the cooking. I've been making these marvelous fun cooking videos and I've got a cookbook I'm working on indeed. Cause you know, Nellie couldn't cook, but I can't. So who's going to do the cooking? So we have uh, many, many irons in many fires. And um, there's a couple independent films I'm looking at. Cause like, it's really nice. People now do call. <laughs> the phone does ring. Thank God. People do go, people go, well, she'll do. Wild and crazy stuff. She'll play a villain. She'll play in it and she'll she'll do it. If you if you're watching this now and you are <clears throat> an independent filmmaker or have a web series and you think it's just not gonna be in my thing, give a call. Give a call. Then send an email. Call my agent say, Well, here's how much we got. You know, if if you're if you're union and it's like a good script, if I read it and I like it, I could, I can show up. I'm I'm like if I go are you union you're paying okay well what's it about here let me take a look at this and I read and go this is a great character I'm I'm in the car so I'm saying if you're an independent filmmaker uh, absolutely hit me up because that I've wound up doing some really 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 great projects because I was willing to say yes to these kind of things.
1: Where can our audience go on social media to follow you? I know that you've already cultivated a, a fantastic relationship with your fans, and and you've even treated them to readings of Little House on Facebook, if I am correct. Yeah. Um, but where can people go to follow you? We can put it up on the little screen and everything here.
0: I'm everywhere. Um, there's a website actually called mm-hmm. bonnetheads.com because the bonnet heads the fans yeah. with their bonnets, bonnet heads dot and then B-O-N-N-E-T-H-E-A-D-S, at bonnetheads.com and that's the main website you'll get like referred to things there uh facebook alison Arngram. uh gosh uh, instagram it's, it's like i'm like at Arngram. it's like alison arngrum alison really easy to find with a name like Arndrum. I in twitter and insta and tiktok i've started on tiktok we love the TikTok and, uh, and of course the website. And then, yeah, and Facebook, I started during the pandemic. I said, well, let's let's read the Little House books. So I'm always doing crazy things on there. And the Alison Arngram Show is on Facebook and UBN Go. YouTube, you can look up who's going to do the cooking with Allison Arngrim, that's on there. But if you go, you can sign up for the Nelly newsletter uh, via my website or uh, just email me at loosegravelprod.com or on Facebook, hit me up and we will get you hooked up. And you once a month, you'll get an email telling you everywhere I am and everywhere other cast members from Little House are. It's, it's quite handy.
1: Allison, thank you for, for joining us today. It's been a fantastic yeah. pleasure. It's just been tons of fun. Ladies and gentlemen, Allison Arngrim.